Hello and welcome to the In The Pen Podcast, part of the Pitcherless Podcast Network. This is a podcast about relievers. My name is Jake Crumpler, and as always, I'm joined by Rick Graham, and we are actually in the same room because this is First Pitch Arizona, and we are live from Arizona right now. Rick, how's it going? Uh, it's going great. It's Yeah, glad to be here. First time, Both of us, first time, First Pitch Arizona attendees. It's been a blast so far. Um yeah, this is kind of a, yeah our first time meeting, first time doing a podcast in the same room. So yeah, it's, it's going to be a good one, hopefully. I gotta say, you're more handsome in person uh, than. <laughs> I mean, your mustache is yeah, it's throwing it's throwing me off too. So, yeah. <laughs> well, it's been a pretty eventful weekend already, and that was definitely helped by the fact that we got here as the World Series was ending. It was played in Arizona. Unfortunately, we were not blessed enough to be able to go to the world series like many of our co-workers or or, uh, industry mates out here Uh, but that world series ended the rangers took down the arizona diamondbacks in the what was that the fifth game of the world series and we did have some bullpen things to uh, talk about for for that. I, I think mostly there were a couple relievers, one on each team that sort of stood out in a positive way. And then also one closer on the Diamondbacks that really didn't love, live up to the standards that he had set for himself in previous seasons. But I guess this leaves us a spot to talk about Kevin Ginkle, Josh Spores, and Paul Seawald. Do these guys change in your mind based off of their their postseason performances i think for me seawald is one that i think is more volatile and less trustworthy than i would have thought going into this season but after seeing him sort of fall apart across the past the last two games of the world series i definitely have a different opinion of how much i trust him going into 2024 well it's it's definitely yeah the world series was not it was obviously not great for him um and you know he did look better earlier on in the playoffs. You know, his, he was he kind of got his strikeout stuff back. Sweeper was working again. But uh, even it's I don't want to say it was just it, it's not just the World Series and he wasn't that great in in Arizona. Um, period. It's you know I, I kind of broke it down, including the playoffs. You know, with Seattle this year, Seawald in forty three innings pitched, two point nine three ERA, one point oh two WHIP, sixty to fourteen K to walk. Uh, ratio and then in Arizona you know 27.2 innings pitch 4.23 ERA 1.37 whip 36 to 17 K to walk ratio that that K to walk ratio is including four hit by pitches that he had which he had no hit by pitches in Seattle so uh, a little bit of a command issue as well in, in Arizona and that could be a bunch of different things it could have just been wear and tear could have been you know adjusting to a new you know, pitching, uh, coaching staff, and the the catchers there, and you know, it could be anything. But it's still not a great look that Seawald kind of did. He did struggle throughout his whole time in Arizona, um, and they still have one more year of, of control of him. So he's gonna be the closer heading into spring training. But there's definitely some more concern for him uh, as of now. I mean, so obviously for 2024, we're more likely to base our expectations of him off of the time that he had in Arizona but for you our bullpen expert which Paul Seawald do you think he's going to be more like in 2024 is he going to be the dominant Seattle Mariners Paul Seawald or is he going to be more is he going to be closer to the uh the up and down 
Arizona Paul Seawald? I I think it might maybe it just lands somewhere in the in the middle because I I can't imagine he's just you know just tra- changing to air, just switching teams going to Arizona creates this big of a you know different differential and you know his ratios and strikeout to to walk ratios and stuff like that. I I think it probably was you know partially just you know being in in his you know early mid thirties and. Just he's been overused, but you know, Seattle really used him a lot in the last couple of years. Um, probably just a little wear and tear towards the end of the season, and then you know, he's again he started off you know looking awesome in the in the early stages of the playoffs, and it was just the, those those two games in the World Series where it's like, all right, now you know the, the the concerns are starting to flare up again. Maybe he isn't all the way you know back to his Seattle self. So um, I, I do have a yeah, I'm, I'm not. Totally out on him, but I, I don't think I'll get any type of you know shares of him this year just because there's other options in that big group of you know solid closers that I, I would rather take a chance on than him. Yeah, we I think we've seen the peak of Paul Seawald, but we may not have seen the peak of Kevin Ginkle, the setup man in Arizona, who I think has an outside chance of taking over closing duties at some point in 2024. He looked pretty incredible in the playoffs. I don't have the stats in front of me, but his mid-90s, mid-upper 90s heater with a slider that has so much vertical break, I'd continue to call it a curveball, but he looked really dominant after having a great season that while not really completely supported by underlying metrics and ERA estimators, I think it still suggests that this is a guy that has a higher ceiling to reach. Do you think 2024 could be that season? And do you think there is, give me a percentage chance that he takes over the closer role at some point in 2024? Uh, I would say, I mean, I think it's, it's definitely, there's definitely a chance. I wouldn't say 50-50. Uh, I'll give it about 25 maybe. I'd say one in four chance. Um, something happens there. Whether, I mean, we could, you know, Arizona had a, you know, they barely snuck into the playoffs. And, you know, they really, it was a great, they had a great start to the season that really faded in the middle. Kind of got it back together at the end and through the playoffs. But they're, they're I don't think anyone's saying they're a lock for, for a playoff um, spot next year. So, you know, things go sideways for them, then you're looking at Seawall could be a very attractive trade candidate as well. So I think Ginkle is still – is definitely put his name on the radar in saves-only leagues. I mean, he's a, he's definitely a holds guy at, the, at this point. But, you know, it, it's either Seawall loses the job or he gets traded. I, I, I think it might even be higher than 25%. I might be too low on that. Um, the, there's there's certainly a good chance he, he takes over that role next year. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, he'll definitely be a – common topic of conversation in save plus holds leagues but on the other side the rangers employed a bullpen that while shaky was able to get the job done jose leclerc did most of the closing for them and while he was their best reliever in september in the postseason he did close out basically all of their games except for uh, all of their wins except for a couple but josh seabors i don't know why i pronounced it like that josh spores um wound up being the the man of the hour, especially to close out the World Series with two and a third scoreless innings to get the job done there and, and earn them the trophy and the rings and everything. And I think going into 2024, this is a bullpen that is going to be widely talked about. But there is the caveat that 
the Rangers don't have too many holes on their team. Their starting rotation is pretty deep, especially with their additions during the season, and their lineup is one of the best in baseball. But then the bullpen is probably the one area where they could invest in and there are some options on the waiver or on in free agency for them to pick up or maybe a trade to go out and get uh, a lockdown closer and I feel like if they're gonna do anything this offseason it's gonna be locking down that bullpen solidifying that bullpen and that could push a guy like LeClerc or Spores out of a high leverage role but going into 2024 after seeing these guys on the biggest stage Spores and LeClerc who would you prefer going into 2024 who do you think is going to be the guy that gets the majority of the saves I still think I would prefer LeClerc just because of how he ended the year. I mean, obviously, Spores ended the year great, too, but the role being LeClerc's, you know, for the final month of the season, including the playoffs, is gives him the edge. Um, but, yeah, I think you're talking, or talking with some people out here, I feel like that has kind of been the consensus with like a lot of people asking about the Rangers' bullpen. A lot, it seems like people think that, yeah, that's – you know, in order to to run it back next year, if they're going to add a, a significant piece, it might be it's probably in their bullpen. You know, they probably could add another pitcher with Degrom out still next year, and who knows what Scherzer's health is. But I, I think you know you have Spores and Leclerc, and and then that's a that's a great you know start. But you, you probably need to add at least one more guy. Um, you know, I, I Robert Stevenson makes a lot of sense there potentially. Um, or they, they try to find another lefty since they're losing Chapman and Will Smith. So, you know, LeClerc right now is the, the guy to target and saves, but, um, you know, deeper or, like, draft and hold types, you, you might want to, you know, take a chance on Spores a little bit later just because of, you know, when he's good, he's good. Uh, he had the little, you know, couple hiccups in the middle to, you know, second half um, you know, of the season where he was battling injuries and, you know, I'm guessing, you know, he really changed his pitch mix this year, throwing a slider more often than his fastball. And I wonder that that usually has, that usually leads to success, but at the, at the same time, it can lead to injury uh, issues as well. So that's kind of a thing to keep in mind with Spores, but still a very interesting profile. And um, LeClerc's by no means, like, completely safe in that role for next year. Yeah, and with Chapman leaving, like you said, I think Hader is probably going to be their, their top target in free agency. Uh, and it sounds like he would fit pretty well, but that'll wrap up this season of the 2023 Major League Baseball. I don't know why I pronounced it, why I chose the words in that order, but that's how they came out. And uh, it, it was a, a great fun year, and, and we had a lot of relievers to talk about. And now that allows us to move into the offseason. So we've already seen transactions start rolling through, at least for relievers. Some guys going on waivers, being claimed, being traded, or just having their options declined. But we did have a couple of Braves re-sign, and those would be Pierce Johnson, who re-signed for two years and $14.25 million, as well as Joe Jimenez, who re-signed with the Braves for three years and $26 million. Obviously, these guys aren't going to be the closers. Obviously, these guys aren't even going to be the top setup men there, but are these options and holds leagues? I know like a couple of these guys... I mean, there's only a couple of them. <laughs> Both of these guys were people that, if they had been available in free agency, might have been able to lock down high leverage roles elsewhere or even closer roles in, in Jimenez's case. Are these guys that will be able to remain relevant in holds or safe plus holds leagues? Uh, I think at least one one of them will. Uh, who that is remains to be seen. It, it's, it's it's funny to me that they they spent this type of money on both, both of them. I 
I mean, Joe Jimenez was, was a favorite, like, holds option of mine heading into last year, but he didn't exactly – he wasn't a huge high-leverage guy for them. I mean, it, it really – it was a, kind of a, a slog for him to get to. I, I don't even – he didn't crack 20 holds this year. I mean, uh, he, he wasn't typically – he wasn't used in a setup role like we kind of all expected when he was traded there in the offseason. Um, I mean, the Braves gave up a pretty significant piece, and was it Justin Henry Malloy? Was that, I think, who it was? Um, so um, – yeah, I, I think both of the I think even Pierce Johnson would have had a chance to maybe secure a closing gig, like you know, maybe like the A's, something silly like that. You know, uh, he did close out some games for the Rockies this year, so there's experience there as well. But yeah, I think but with Minter as the kind of top setup guy there, one of them at least should be like that secondary setup guy. I would lean Jimenez, but uh, they'll probably just ride the hot hand and whoever whoever that is coming out of spring training will get the first crack. And we saw some other interesting yet maybe unheralded moves. We saw Cody Bolton traded to the Mariners for cash from the Pirates. Penn Murphy of the Mariners was claimed off waivers by the Mets. And Angel Perdomo of the Pirates was outrighted to the Miners, which I'm pretty sure means he's on waivers. Fangraph says he has zero options left, and I don't know if that was before Hughes option this time or after so I don't know if he is on waivers but if he is I that one's definitely an interesting one because he struck out a lot of guys last year but do you see anything in Cody Bolton or Penn Murphy because I mean right now it's just speculation on Perdomo like where he ends up if he ends up with another team but I know I I thought Bolton was sort of just a, a nothing name but you sort of perked up a little bit when I mentioned that he was traded to the Mariners yeah, I think you know, he has a little bit of a prospect status. He hasn't had success in Pittsburgh, but not a lot of pitchers have. And I think part of it is just like going from a team like Pittsburgh where, you know, we've seen over the past few years a lot of, you know, pitchers leave there and then go have success elsewhere. And he's in a good spot with Seattle where Seattle does a great job uh, developing their, their pitchers. And, you know, they've found some diamonds in the rough in their bullpen. And I wonder if Bolton could be the next guy there. Um, that's just purely speculation based on, you know, him again, leaving Pittsburgh and heading to Seattle, going from a bad place to a good place. So, um, we'll see how it turns out in spring training. If he can lock down a spot for the regular season, Murphy's another one though, who Seattle, I thought, I thought did a pretty good job. I think Murphy was a little bit of a sleeper over the past couple of years, never really took off, never definitely, definitely never had any sort of hold on a high leverage role, but the Mets definitely could use some middle relievers, and uh, he's a higher upside option than you know, like Phil Bickford or whatever else they have going for them right now. So, yeah, I mean Perdomo too. I just to touch on that, it's a you know me me and Mike Carter had a holds panel this 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 week at Arizona first pitch Arizona, and I put Perdomo on there as a potential sleeper holds target because of his strikeout rate last year. And uh, again for Pittsburgh, you know having they have Colin Holderman, they have David Bednar, but other than that in that bullpen, there's not a ton of, you know, exciting names or options to lean on, and especially from the left side. So it's surprising to see them give up on Perdomo, even without him having any options left. That's right. And you mentioned First Pitch Arizona that you were a speaker, but this is both of our first year here at First Pitch, and 
it's been a blast. I'm sure you hear this all over the industry that it is an event to really seek out and save up your money for. And yeah, I think we are both on the same page when we say it is totally worth the money. It's super cool being able to hang out with all of the people in the industry and just like be a baseball nerd with a bunch of other baseball nerds. And the the vibes are immaculate. I I think there's just, there's so much where this is a, a, a one of a kind event where like you're not going to get this kind of situation anywhere else so if if you're still on the fence about something like this even after all of the other guys have you know begged you to (laughs) reconsider i I take it from me and rick that it is totally worth it and you should get out here next year in 2024 because it is it has been a blast and we still got two and a half more days here i'm saying half it's like nine o'clock p.m right now and we still got like three more hours at least of the night to uh party it up with big names like Eno saris and nick pollock and frank stanfall you know and it's, it's super cool so definitely try to make it out here next year but we'll wrap up this transaction segment looking at the guys that have had decisions on their options uh starting off with andrew chafin and justin wilson of the brewers both of them had their club options declined by the team not really surprising justin wilson was dealing with an injury andrew chafin completely fell off after being acquired at the trade deadline Uh, i'm sure these guys aren't going to be super big on the free agent wire but like i I don't know what what situation could you see where uh, i mean mostly chafin what situation could you see where he gets signed by a team and where where he becomes fantasy relevant uh i think shave yeah i mean i think chafin's gonna probably get a major league deal i don't think he's like as bad as he was last year, I don't think he's yet. He's he's not a, you know, spring training invite guy yet. Um, just when you ask that question, the first thing that popped to mind, obviously, is I mean, if he goes to Tampa Bay, I mean, all of a sudden he might be one of the best holds options next year. So, yeah, it's definitely. I mean, depending on where he lands, and and that's you know, it's funny because like Milwaukee's. I mean, that's if I see a reliever go to Milwaukee, it always perks my interest, and that's where he ended up in the second half and it did not end well for him there so maybe there is something more maybe there's there's some more issues underlying than you know he's just maybe he's not easily fixable at this point but um yeah it obviously like you said landing spot matters and like something like tampa bay because i mean they they're pretty sure jake deekman's a free agent um so they could probably they're probably going to look for another lefty and in, in free agency Fair point. And then the other three notable names, or I guess the only relievers that had options, uh, decided upon. Brooks Raley had his club option exercised by the Mets, so he'll remain with the team for one more year. And then Aaron Loop and Liam Hendricks both had their club options declined by the Angels and White Sox, respectively. Are any of these a surprise to you? Um, Do you think Brooks Raley has the... uh, inside edge i guess on the top setup role there in, in new york and and do you think liam Hendricks gets a, a, a two-year deal to sort of recoup his value after tommy john surgery yeah i think both i think both those things might be right i think really um you know between him and i'm guessing adam Ottavino opts into his player option there i think it's worth like eight or nine million something where it makes sense for him to opt in uh, th- those two guys, you, unless unless they do go out and spend some money on on relievers, which isn't really doesn't sound like that's going to be what they they do this year. 
Um, you, you know, Ray and Ottavino will be setting up Diaz and uh, both both those guys can have value and holds leagues, but I think Rayleigh's the better option uh, for sure. And you know, Hendricks, yeah, um, he's getting up there in age and coming back from Tommy John is it's 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 tough. I don't think anyone's gonna commit to him being a cl- like a the closer next year wherever he ends up. But yeah, I'm sure he gets one of those two year deals where he gets to rehab with the team, get ready for spring training next year, and then at least have a chance to close out games. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see see where he lands. You know, um, you know, it's always like the Dodgers type, you know, type of guy. Maybe like maybe they'll try to to bring him in and, um, you know, see where that how that works out. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. They they love those two year deals with injured guys, and you know, <laughs> I mean, last year we really didn't see any of those guys return to the field, namely Blake Trinan. But hopefully that'll happen for Liam Hendricks. But that'll wrap up our postseason rundown and our, our rundown through the most recent transactions. The off season will definitely ramp up very soon, and next episode we will likely run through our free agent predictions and sort of give you a, a, a breakdown of all of the relievers on the market and, and what kind of fantasy value they, they might have once they are signed. But we do have a good episode for you today. Uh, every every day, <laughs> not every day, every, every episode, they're always good. This one is also good um, because we will be going over the pitcherless mock draft that we had, I think it was like three weeks ago, and we'll be comparing them to Rick's rankings that just came out um when was that on um, october 30th i was like yeah. five days ago um we'll be comparing where the relievers were taken in the draft and where rick has them ranked heading into 2024 and we'll we'll try to find some takeaways from that draft um but before we do that we're going to take a quick break here on in the pen and we're back. Jake Crumpler here with Rick Graham on In the Pen. As I said before the break, we'll, we will be discussing the pitcherless mock draft that we partook in a few weeks ago and compared and compare where relievers were taken in that draft with Rick's ranks that he just put out just a few days ago. Um, I guess we start off at the top with Edwin Diaz because he was the first reliever taken. He was taken quite a while before any of the other ones. And He's also your top-ranked reliever, and I, I don't see why not other than the injury concern, but I know you've mentioned it was a leg injury. He is a pitcher. He uses his arms more than his legs. I mean, there could be some debate about that, but I think arm injuries are usually more detrimental to a pitcher. But I, I think that's like a pretty consensus thing with Edwin Diaz up there. Do you think he should be like far and away the number one guy, or is there any sort of conversation to be had about drafting somebody without the injury concern? concerns from Edwin Diaz's preseason injury last year yeah yeah I think it's it comes down to if Diaz was not and I don't really consider the him coming back from an ACL huge concern but there's definitely concern I mean we he's not Daniel Hudson's age but we saw how, how Daniel Hudson was not able to pitch this year coming trying to come back from an ACL so um there, there's definitely potential for for you know complications to, to coming back from that injury um, but it did seem like he was trending in the right direction and could have pitched in September had the Mets, you know, been in the in the run of the playoffs. You know, um, so not too concerned about the injury, but I think that does put me, you know, I have him first overall as my closer rankings. But 
Uh, I, I can't argue if, you know, Devin Williams or any kind of, you know, a, a lot of those other names in that top 15 or so. Um, you know, I, I don't think there's a clear-cut guy. But Diaz, far and away, why he's number one is because of just the upside that, you know, no one else has that Felix Batista upside that Diaz. I mean, Batista had Edwin Diaz upside, and now it's like Diaz has Batista upside um, this this season. And um, hopefully next year they'll both be able to pitch and they'll both be at the top of the ranks. Yeah, and uh, I guess we can just continue to run through the draft order. The next three guys that were taken in the draft were Emmanuel Classe, Devin Williams, and Josh Hader, some of the big names from the past few years. Two of these names stand out, though, because they are not really ranked within the numbers that they were taken. Emmanuel Classe, the most notable one, he was taken as the number two reliever off the board, and you have him ranked number 13. I can understand why his past... 2023 season was not up to his usual standards and he is a guy that has consistently been a closer and and has been one of the best for a while and even last year in a down year he led the majors in saves which is crazy to be able to do that Um, but what has you ranking him so far away from where he was taken in this draft yeah I mean here's the thing there's like I I'd say almost 50 about 15 closers where I honestly, if you take them as the top closer on the, off the board, I'm not, you know, I have no, you know, qualms with that. There's no issue. It's, you know, Classe had a down season by his standards, but it was still, you know, a 3.22 ERA and 1.16 whip, which is, which is fine. That's, that's good. That's, you know, okay. Especially when you're getting the, the amount of saves and he's one of the more safe, you know, we know even with a new manager, I, I don't think there's any concern um uh, with his usage next year he's going to be the closer um and still showed you know his stuff plus was one 154 plv 5.38 those are both you know in the top of the the ranks for relievers um so the stuff's there but you know 21.2 percent k rate is definitely that's not what you want from your your first closer your top closer um it's concerning how many balls in play he allows. And, and, and I know there was a high bad up last year, but if you're not striking people out, that's going to happen. That's why we tend to lean towards the guys that do miss bats because, you know, that's you, – you're not you're not taking any chances if you're able to just miss bats. You're not putting balls in play. So, um, But, yeah, that, I mean, that's who being said. Like, there's – you know, Terry Francona has – you know, we know his, his tendencies where he sticks with his guys. He – leans heavily he just abused brad hand to the point where he, you know he, he fell apart really quick um he, he's really you know loves to have that guy those the one or two guys in the bullpen that he can just you know use over and over again more than any other manager so now you know maybe he maybe he doesn't get to 40 saves next year if the if you know the new manager wants to be or the organization itself wants to kind of like take a step back with him because he's still young he's still their future closer um and if the Guardians aren't, you know, in playoff contention next year, which I don't see them right now as being a playoff contender, they could be. But, um, yeah, I, I just, you know, there's other guys that are just more interesting to me that have higher strikeout rates. And, you know, Class A is probably this, one of the safest. If you're talking about safe safety and just pure saves, he's definitely top three or five, three to five. But um, overall context, if you're talking, you know, points or – head-to-head categories type leagues, I, I feel like Class A is more of a, 
you know, 10 to 12 option at this point. So do you think the mock draft was accurate in taking him as the number two closer? And when I say that, I mean, do you think that's where he'll actually be taken in drafts by guys that aren't bullpen experts like ourselves? Or do you think it'll be the guy that you ranked number two who went third off the board in Devin Williams? Uh, I think those two, I, I think Williams probably goes two more often uh, would be my guess. But uh, I don't even know if Edwin Diaz is definitely a surefire top pick. I think we're going to see a couple different names, you know, in depending draft dependent and league dependent, go first in, in, for, for closers because I think the the injury will still scare people away from Diaz and you know Class A like we like we just talked about has his issues and you know Devin Williams is you know he I have him too but I I see the concerns potentially with him and you know he's had walk issues in the not too distant past so um yeah i i think williams still would probably be two in most drafts right now but uh again this this like crop of 12 to 15 relievers uh closers it's just it's kind of hard to differentiate some of them so then we have Josh Hader, who I, I don't think we should spend too much time on because we're not really sure where he's pitching. There is somewhat of a disparity between your ranking and where he was taken. He was taken fourth overall. You have him ranked number nine. Is that mostly because he doesn't have a team? Because he was really good last year, and he has been really good for a long time, and I doubt any team picks him up and doesn't make him the closer unless you know he goes to like the Mets or something and shares the role with Edwin Diaz, which would be uh, awful for fantasy managers but is that the reason for the disparity in the ranking um yeah it's you know i for me in general it's the guys coming off the free agent year who are about to sign big contracts i try to stay away from uh, as a general rule of thumb unless they re-sign somewhere it's which i don't think the the padres are in you know in debt right now i don't think they're going to be able to keep him so um yeah, just, you know, he's going to get paid and, you know, he, he he's going to only be able to pitch one inning at a time and he still he still has an issue of giving up. A, he gives up a ton of hard contact. I just, you know, the strikeouts are starting to come down to, I feel I'm not super, it would have to be like the perfect landing spot for him. Uh, I, I mean, you said Texas and that's a really interesting, interesting spot. I, I, I feel like that would be. I might raise him up a little bit there, but there's a lot of spots where I, I think ninth makes sense. I think like I'm just there's just you know the the uncertainty of where he is and you know the motivating factors I guess between him you know and just last year only you know trying just he it really seemed like he was just trying to like make it through the season, stay healthy, and get to free agency and get paid, and that was kind of his you know his motivation for last year. Well, I have a, a pretty good feeling that you'll be moving him up throughout the offseason because there are definitely some names that I think most fantasy managers would have quabbles with about having them ranked above Hater. But, you know, we'll, we'll get there. The next five that were taken off the board were, were Yoan Duran, Jordan Romano, Camilo Duvall, Rysel Iglesias, and David Bednar. Duran. 
right in line with yeah. where you draft with where you ranked him fifth he was taken fifth in the draft you had him ranked number five so we can skip over him and go to the next guy jordan romano was taken sixth and i think that's because he's been a closer for quite a while and he's on a good team you have him ranked all the way down at number 18 which is crazy i mean if you thought emmanuel classe was ranked low jordan romano not even in the top half of closers in baseball why is that why is there such a huge disparity there that might be that's probably the biggest one on here uh, overall in, in terms of total spots. Yeah. That is the largest one, 12, 12 spots there. Um, that's pretty wild. And while I do agree that Romano shouldn't be the sixth waiver taken, 18 is pretty crazy. I think there was just a lot of uh, a lot of things that trended the wrong way last year. Um, 2.9 ERA is fine. 1.22 whip though that's not that's um that's not what we're looking for out of our our number one or you know, our, your top reliever on your roster that's um you know the walks really in the second half were a, a big issue he you know he was battling injuries and, and so maybe he's able to be healthy next year and the walks go away but he's kind of always had you know walk issues and again you know i have him at 18 but it's not like i'm totally out on him i just think i'd rather him be like a like my like kind of solid number you know two reliever outside of like being you know my my first closer that i take um i just there's there's concern I mean, he still missed bass last year 18 percent swing strike rate but again the whip is, is a concern and the injuries and just like the staying healthy you know the nagging injuries kind of kind of that thing can kind of build for someone you know getting getting up to his age and you know he was a guy who had trouble staying healthy earlier in his career too so um but you're right i mean great team for the most part and he'll, he'll probably have no competition for saves so um you know i have him at 18 but i can see him you know going in the top 10 i think six is definitely high but like ten to twelve, yeah, that's I, I understand that. I get that. Yeah, and then the uh, the next three that I had already mentioned: Camilo Duvall, Rice Iglesias, and David Bednar. Bednar. Duvall got taken seventh. You had him ranked eighth. Iglesias got taken eighth. You had him ranked twelfth. And Bednar went ninth, and you had him ranked eleventh. I will only ask about Iglesias because that was who I drafted and I felt fine taking him at eight because he has been such a consistent reliever maybe has one of the longest track records among all the guys that are being taken here as being a a closer that we can trust and he's on the Braves so he's going to have plenty of wins to close out the four spots is not a huge difference but do you feel that I took him too early no I, I again like these I mean this kind of range this first closer like that you're going to take for your team that comes off the board i feel like there's again there's like 15 or so uh options that i you know have no can't really make any arguments against you know taking them where you know as your top closer so iglesias fits into that it just happened that he was a little bit further down than some other guys that i think have more upside at this stage of their career um you know, he's still Iglesias is still able to miss bats, seventeen point five percent swing and strike rate. But it doesn't, and, and we've seen it in the past, it hasn't always showed up in his strikeout rates. So, um, you know, I think he's he's solid. He's gonna he's not gonna blow up your ERA. His WHIP was a little high last year, one point one nine. I think a lot of that. I I know a lot of that was due to his first month back, coming off injury. He he was a little rusty. 
then he really settled in and was great the second half. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, he's like a guy that I, if I were to put a range, it's like more of a he's like a six to fifteen guy anywhere in that like six to fifteen closer taken off the board kind of makes sense for me with him. Yeah, I, I think I prefer him more so for the safety and that I yeah. feel like he's got a very high floor of just he's going to get 30 saves on the Braves as long as he doesn't get injured or just completely regress. But I, I felt fine with that one. But we'll move on to the next guys as we enter the double-digit uh, numbers. Uh, Alexis Diaz got taken 10th. Ryan Helsley went 11th. Pete Fairbanks 12th. Andres Munoz 13 and Paul Seawald 14. I think Edwin Diaz is the one that stands out, or excuse me, Alexis Diaz stands out here the most. Um, he went 10th. You ranked him 20th. I think that's the one of the largest disparities there. I have to agree with you, but we have heard some other sides of the coin here uh, after we listen to Greg Jewett and Doug Dennis speak at First Pitch Arizona, suggesting that Alexis Diaz was really overused. He had a large amount of outings where he was pitching on zero or one day rest, and that may have contributed to a young arm getting gassed throughout the season. But, you know, it's really hard to trust somebody like that and take them inside the top 10. Are you believing more so that the second half was something that was the league finally catching up to him or like his stuff falling off? Or do you think that your mind has changed a little after listening to the real bullpen experts <laughs> come down with rain down with their decision on uh, where Alexis Diaz should be taken? Do you think you can get a, a discount? I mean, obviously I think at 10 here, it's not really a discount, but if he is to fall closer to 15, is this a guy that you would maybe consider more is, I don't know. What, what's your take on Alexis Diaz now after hearing Doug and, and Greg? Yeah. I mean, first of all, yeah, Greg, Greg and Dennis are, I mean, they're the OGs. They're the, they're the bullpen. Um, they are the bullpen experts. And listening to today was, you know, was a treat. And you know, first time able to, see, to you know, kind of be there and listen to their closer talk was awesome. So yeah, I'm glad you brought them up though, because when they started talking about Diaz, that was something I took note of too. Is the the usage and the overusage. Um, and it definitely yeah he definitely was over he was the only reliever in that bullpen that could be trusted I mean I understand why uh he was overused and they're fighting for playoff spot the whole year so my 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 thing my my kind of pushback to that is though you know you are a closer you're gonna be asked to pitch on back-to-back days with no rest um so how, how how often him you know Diaz compared to the rest of the league was he overused or overworked, I think would be interesting to dig into, uh, which now I am kind of tempted to look at that <laughs> this weekend and kind of get a gauge of overworked relievers last year. Um, because something was wrong. I mean, something was wrong in the second half. He was not the same guy. It was literally two, it's like two different pitchers between the first half and the second half. Um, probably the worst, I, I mean, I can't say Carlos Estevez was probably the worst closer in the second half, but I mean, Diaz was up there with a, 5.78 xFIP and a 6.5% K to walk rate in the, in the second half. I, that's that's not it. That's not going to cut it. Um, you know he's never really stood out in like stuff plus metrics or uh, you know any sort of pitch metric. Um, and he pitches in one of the worst ballparks in baseball. So I I don't think even at 15, like you said, I I still don't think. I'm in on him. I, I think he's, you know, there's like 15 or 18 guys. There's definitely 18 guys I would take above him. I, 
on this list and I just I'm just not I'm all set I want to I don't want to risk that the second half was kind of the real Alexis Diaz because even you know he was great in 2022 but um that again that was in a setup role and you know it's just not huge um you know data you know it's not it's it's not a huge you know data set to, to to put you know to make him a top 10 or 12 closer i mean there's clearly a lot of upside here but i i am unsure about where i'm going to rank him because there, he does give me some anxiety and even still like this doesn't mean that the reds aren't going to overuse him again next year and he's right. still yeah. in one of the worst ballparks in baseball in terms of being good for pitchers so i i don't know we'll, we'll have to see with that one i definitely wouldn't take him inside the top 10 but i maybe i will consider him around 15 because i don't see them having anybody else closing there but that'll be interesting um next we have ryan helsley i i think we should keep this one quick he was taken 11th and you had him ranked sixth, which that surprised me how high you ranked him especially given that giovanni gallegos is still going to be there jojo romero will be back to full health obviously helsley you know overcame his injury and was pretty dominant in september did that bring you the confidence back or like do you do you think the Cardinals are still going to mess around with him? Or do you think this is a guy that, you know, is, this is this is going to be the real true breakout of 2021 was uh, ju- just a taste yeah. of it. The 2024 or 2022 was the taste of it. 2024 would be the real uh, breakout. Yeah, that's kind of how, how I think after his September, which absolutely shocked me in, in every which way when he came back. Um First of all, yeah, Gallegos is not going to be closing out games next year. I'm pretty sure the Cardinals have made that clear that they, he he doesn't work he doesn't work in that situation well, and they you know they did everything they could to not put him in safe situations in the second half with you know JoJo Romero getting a bunch of chances over him. So no concern with him and the fact that Helsley came back like there was no reason for him to come back in September. I mean the Cardinals were out of the playoffs. It would have made sense. We were talking about like, why don't they just shut him down? Why, you know, why are they risking anything? But he came out, came back, and not only was he absolutely dominant in September, but the Cardinals had absolutely. He got every single save chance. They used him on back-to-back days a couple times. I mean, they really showed, like, they really put, you know, put him in the closer role, like, set it, forget it, and we're not screwing around. He is our closer, and I, as long as that continues, there's obviously injury risk here, but. For me, when I'm ranking in October, I'm I'm about upside more than you know anything else at this time. Um, and, and Helsley's a guy that, if he can get to fifty to fifty to sixty innings, is definitely going to be uh, where he's going to wherever he goes this year. It's it's going to be it's going to work out for you if he can make it to fifty or sixty innings. Cool. So let's wrap up this top fifteen. We both took relievers here. Um, Pete Fairbanks. Uh, I I mentioned most of these names. I just didn't include Ryan Presley, who went number 15. But Pete Fairbanks got taken 12th overall. You had him ranked number three. My guy, (laughs) Rick Graham. That's right. Um, And then I took Andres Munoz right after that, 13th. And uh, he was your seventh-ranked reliever, so I I feel good about that one. Seawald, like I said, taken 14th. He's ranked 17th. And Presley went 15th. You had him ranked 10. I think those are are fine. I think those can sort of go either way on Seawald and Presley. But we talked about Seawald at length before and I think Presley is somebody that we'll probably discuss a lot in the spring as we sort of see how the new manager in in Houston really affects that situation but let's talk about Pete Fairbanks and Andres Munoz really quickly the disparity between Fairbanks draft 
spot and where you have him ranked i absolutely adore um and i was really pissed that you snagged him from me because i was probably going to take him right there too um what has you ranking him so high is it just because he's we, we we all know he's the best reliever in baseball or is it just because of the usage that the rays did the way that the rays used him last year and do you like feel more confident about him like not getting injured it's, yeah it's a combination of both i don't feel necessarily confident about him not getting injured i feel like that's probably going to happen because it always has um but if, if he can he you know if he again he's just like i was talking about with helsley if you can guarantee if you're telling if you can tell me he's going to get 50 innings plus this year um i i think the, the top three makes sense for him because there's no one else that really has that type of upside outside of devin williams or edwin diaz um you know, Fairbanks finished top ten amongst relievers in X Woba, uh, K percentage, CSW, PCRAW. You know, it's it's just there's just so much, and, and the Rays are just like you know what we're not we're done going with a committee approach. That this is Pete Fairbanks' job. Um, similar to the Cardinals, you know, it, both those guys, you know, Housley and Fairbanks had issues, you know, with health and what their role would be and you know health still a concern but i think their roles are stable as closers for their prospective teams great and then how did you feel about my munoz pick he came out to be my second relief pitcher and obviously matt brash is there but um, andres munoz is really yeah. good and seems to have the leg up on the closer role there um simple yes or no did i make the right choice there yeah i i think there's an there's like a lot of matt brash buzz and i get it he's a you know i i love matt brash as well he's a strikeout guy and yeah the mariners have kind of mixed and matched at times like you know even when paul sewell was there it was kind of was is he the full-time closer like they would always you know kind of change things up every now and then so there's a little concern there and you know but there's also concern with Munoz's health Munoz's health and that's probably my only big concern um his ability to stay healthy as well but like I said with Housley and Fairbanks you know in October I am you know you can't really predict health you you can you know there's especially with relievers I mean um, it's a lot of these guys are relievers part because they have had health issues in the past. Like it, it, that's, you know, some of the reasons why they're relievers or they have command issues. Those are typically the two things that lead them to being relievers. So, um, Munoz, I, I think where you took him was, was great. The, the upside there obviously is, you know, he's got top five upside. Uh, the whip last year was, was pretty bad. 1.27. But still able to miss a lot of bats, and I do think there was some bad luck last year, and um, I do think he'll his ratios will be much better this season as long as he's healthy. Awesome. Um, so that's the top fifteen. We'll cover the next fifteen um, probably in a quicker fashion since we are running pretty long on the podcast. But first, we're going to take our second break of the podcast. And we're back. Jake Crumpler here with Rick Graham on in the pen. We are wrapping up the bottom half of the pitcher list mock draft that happened a few weeks ago, covering the relievers that were taken in this draft and comparing them to Rick's closing ranks, which came out just a few days ago. Make sure to check those out on pitcherlist.com. But let's uh, let's go through the more notable names here. And I think first off, we got Tanner Scott, who was taken 16th. Um, you had him ranked four, which 
that is crazy um, just given the track record that he has but I mean just the change that he made was so notable and so easy to point out it's really just a matter of is it going to stick the change that I'm talking about is that he stopped walking guys this is a guy that he walked the world for his entire career finally figured out how not to do that got a ton more strikeouts and became one of the best relievers in baseball for the whole season and then by September he was the closer in Miami and and right now there's really no reason to believe that he will lose that role. Four's crazy though, considering um, just the the lack of track record. There is this too much recency bias on your end, and do you think this is a guy that we can really get tons of late value on if he's going to be going as the 16th reliever off the board? Yeah, again, I mean, again, I'm leaning upside in, in these early ranks, um, and you know, you say recency bias, and yeah, like. Obviously, last year was the the out the outlier, the breakout because of the walk rate, and it's like every year leading up to last, or even the beginning of last year, it's always with Tanner Scott. Whenever I'm, you know, previewing him, it's like great stuff. Just needs to lower the walk the walk rate down, you know, below ten percent or so, and he was finally able to do that, get it down to seven point eight percent. Finished top ten amongst all relievers in XWOBA, XFIP, CSW, PLV. Um, so why he's for and yeah it's it is aggressive but i don't think it's you know crazy to it shouldn't be crazy to think like he can't do that again because we saw it somewhat recently with you know like jose alvarado when he got to philadelphia he was able to figure out his walk issues and he's had some injuries in between but when he's been healthy since making those changes he has been you know he's been amazing for phil for them so I think that's definitely reasonable to believe with Scott that like he's not going to go back to walking 15% of hitters again next year. I I just don't see why that would happen. Um, so as long as that doesn't happen, there's no reason to believe he can't be, you know, a, again, finish top 10 in all these categories and be one of the top three or four best relievers in baseball again. Yeah, I think those are some great points. He'll definitely be somebody to target later in drafts. Evan Phillips went number 17. You had him ranked 14. Yenia Cano went number 18. You had him ranked 29th. That is a a, a big one there. And I, I think that's a, a great point because right now where the Orioles bullpen stands, I think they have better options in-house while they are less proven as closers, I think Yenier Cano's second half is more indicative of his true talent than the incredible first half that he had. And the Orioles definitely have the money to go out and get a closer, um, even just on a one-year deal like someone like Craig Kimbrell or something, uh, just to bridge the gap to Felix Bautista returning from Tommy John surgery. Is it just like a, like you believe Yenier Cano's not going to be the closer going into next season, or is this something where you're not sold on his skills? It's a little bit of both, to be honest. Uh, again, we we brought up uh, Greg and Dennis's, uh, um, you know, presentation today, and there is a lot of the, you know Yenier Cano talk, uh, and they kind of touched on the same thing. Is it's, you know, the first month was just an anomaly um, from him, and then what happened afterwards is probably what we're going to see, which is, you know, a solid reliever, a solid middle reliever, but not. Not a closer, not somebody for you know the Orioles who have the best record in the American League. I don't think that's the guy they want closing out the, their games for the whole season next year. So, um, I still I do I, it's just like burned into my mind right now that I just feel like Craig Kimbrell is going to sign a one year deal there and they're going to try that experience um, for better or worse. I, I don't 
Uh, I don't really know. I mean, it could work for half a year or so, but I, I feel like it, maybe it's not Kimbrel, but there's going to be a one-year. It makes sense for them to sign a one-year deal or to to trade for someone on you know an expiring contract potentially to fill that gap until Batista's back in 2015 or 2025. Sorry. And next is Clay Holmes, who went 19th. You had him ranked 16th. Why do you have him bolded? Did you did you have a, a talking point here? Uh, no, I don't know. I don't know why right. that was. I think <laughs> it was just, you one. know, um, there was a bit of a Holmes talk as well today, and I was going through looking at, you know, his – he does have an interesting profile where he, he – the swinging strike rate is not great, 11.6 this year. But, you know, then you look at the call strikes, and the, the CSW comes up to 31.6%, and he had a 27% K rate. And I know there's kind of a, you know uh, – a feel or I feel like he gets stuck he gets labeled as like a ground ball contact guy but he does have he is he obviously is a big ground ball guy but he does have you know strikeout ability as well um so I I think you know 19 does seem I I I know I have him at 16 it's only three three thing like three positions off sounded like Eno talking about Blake Snell (laughs) with with Nick it's yeah for those who want to understand that reference turn in tune into the uh, Arizona uh, podcast that of on the corner that Nick and Miles uh, put will put out I'm sure later this week if they haven't put it out already but um yeah I I don't know Holmes is it's like yeah debating three spots but I, I feel like maybe I am a little under undervaluing him but again there's so many guys in that top 18 that it's it's hard to move guys up and down the list at this point all right and then the next three Adbert Azulay went number 20 you had him ranked 25 Kenley Jansen went number 21 you had him ranked 19 Jose Leclerc who we spoke about a little bit went 22nd you had him ranked 26th and then Craig Kimbrell went 23rd without a landing spot right now in free agency and you had him ranked 31 why do you have him ranked so low because he sort of fell off a lot in the second half or just because he's getting older and we don't really know if he's going to have a closing job going into 2024 yeah it's the second half it's the playoffs it's um his age uh he really did fall off in the second it started in the i mean it was like the all-star game. i remember watching the all-star game I remember he had that shaky he closed out the game but he yeah. like loaded the bases and i'm like oh man we're gonna we're gonna get a terrible second half from him aren't we um and then like it happened in the playoffs and i've seen that before as a red Sox fan so i feel bad for for phillies fans and having to deal with that um but again like if he does like if he lands in Baltimore, maybe even like Texas, I don't know. Um, there's some interesting potential spots for him, and I, and my guess is that at this point of his career, it's either one of two things he's looking for: he's looking to win a championship, and or looking to just continue to add saves to his resume. And he, he's got a good chance at being. What is this? He can make. I think he's got one more season. He can get to that like second overall um, career saves. Um, second maybe third yeah so you you can get to that third spot on the leaderboard for career saves which obviously he's had a great career so far but that 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 could be something that motivates him and you know maybe he signs us a one-year deal if uh, area oakland or something i don't know but i feel like baltimore just seems like it makes sense um but who knows yeah, definitely makes sense. And then on the flip side, you have the guy who will likely be replacing Kimbrel, Jose Alvarado, went 24th. You had him rank 15th, and I, I think I got to agree with you. He's been really good, and I think 
the reason that he went so late in this draft is because I feel like most people don't realize that Kimbrel was going to be a free agent. And while there is a little bit of conversation to be had about who will be the closer, especially given that Jose Alvarado is a lefty and the whole conversation around that, and Sir Anthony Dominguez and Jeff Hoffman are still around, I, I still think Alvarado is the best guy. But we did see Rob Thompson like to use him as the high leverage reliever throughout the entirety of the season, not just in the playoffs. Um I, I really don't even think you need to explain this one. I, yeah. I think this one just like makes complete sense. I think he just went too late. And even if he's not the all out closer there, he's going to be getting a decent amount of saves. Like I think this is a guy that gets 15 saves at least and just pitches incredibly, um, probably not to the same standards that he did at the outset of 2023. But there's still a guy that uh, is, I, I think a, a very safe option. Uh, so we'll move on from that one and go to Alex Lang, who's went 25th. Uh, you took him, you had him ranked 21st. Uh, Kyle Finnegan was next. He got taken 26th overall and you had him not ranked, which hey, I can't blame you. We are the Hunter Harvey podcast and Kyle Finnegan is on a downward trajectory and may not even start out the season as the closer do you think he's worth drafting? I, I think people are going to draft him just drafted. based off last year. Is he worth drafting? Uh, to me, to me, I just don't want any part of the the potential headache. I, I, I don't want any. I don't want to be on this ride. Uh, I'm, I'm not obviously not going to get any shares. Um, no matter where, if he keeps falling, I'll, I'll just I'm gonna I'm gonna hold out on you know drafting him at any spot. Pretty much, it's uh, it's a it's a combination of and Harvey wasn't like elite last year but he was pretty good and Finnegan was just not good he started off terrible had a little middle stretch of the season that uh, no, it was a pretty good stretch in the middle of the <laughs> I was about to say little, was little, little is pretty yeah, mean credit for that but the, the the finish and end were just so bad that like I I you know I and it was I think it was like in August we were talking about him and like well maybe we were wrong and then like he just finished September pretty terribly and it's like no this is the guy we thought he was um but he had 28 saves last year he's there's always going to be that there's always going to be that guy who's just not good who gets 28 to 30 something saves and um you know he just still gives up too much hard contact and just a 21.9% K rate with giving up the amount of like bottom 4%, you know, hard contact rates. It's just, I'm all set. Even pitching in a pretty good pitcher's park. It's like, you know, I, I'll take, I'll take a chance on Harvey really late. Um, this could be even a situation. I don't think Finnegan's guaranteed the spot heading into, you know, April. I think depending, I think it's going to depend on what happens in spring training. Cause Harvey did take over for him at some point in the season. Then he got hurt and missed a little time. And, you know, that's obviously the concern with Harvey is him staying healthy. But he did stay healthy for the majority of last year. So I, I, I'm i still going Har- Harvey over Finnegan and just fading Finnegan no matter what. Yeah. And then so we can wrap this up. Uh, technically, five more relievers were taken after this. One of them, Joe Jimenez, obviously not going to be a closer. He was taken the last among the uh, quote-unquote relievers. You had him ranked 35th. Shohei Otani got taken as a reliever. I don't know. That was sort of a a throwaway pick and that somebody was speculating that maybe whichever team signs him will try to bring him back as a reliever. I don't see that. I don't see that happening. Maybe, yeah. 
Yeah. No, no, no. That 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 was his reasoning. That's that's what he used. Yeah, in the in the chat. That's what he said. He was just like, I'm gonna take Shohei as a pitcher, uh, speculating that he'll come back and close by the end of the season. I think that's goofy. Um, even to draft him uh, with with that caveat, even if that does happen. Um, but there were three other guys that I think are interesting. These are sort of the high upside guys that went late from 27 through 29. Robert Stevenson went first. You had him ranked 23. Gregory Santos ranked 24. And Hunter Harvey ranked 27. You took, you took Stevenson. I took Santos. Did you take Harvey as well? All right. There it is. Uh, yeah, we sort of swept it up at the end there. I oh, did. Okay. Yeah, I, figured, um, yeah. I, I, I just I feel like he's going to be the, the closer there. Um, uh, Clay Holmes Jr., in my opinion. But who's your favorite among this group? I mean, clearly you took Stevenson. Um, he is a free agent, though. Harvey doesn't have the closer role, but does have a clear shot to it. Santos might have the clearest role, but the worst skills. Um, there's question marks about all these guys. All these guys have their uh, positives as, as well. Um, I have a feeling you're going to say Stevenson, but who, who's your favorite among here, and who do you think might give you the best value? Because I think some of these guys are going to be going later than others. Yeah, it's an interesting grouping because you have Stevenson, who's probably – is is the best stuff but no idea what his role is going to be santos probably the closer unless they add someone um but his september and you know he kind of finished the year on the il just concerns me um you know he they were trying to push him into the closer role and it didn't work out as planned so they might have some hesitations there but he does i mean I still like him a lot. If if he if he does get the role, I could see him moving up into like the eighteen to twenty spot potentially. Um, Harvey and and then Harvey's kind of in between where it's he's definitely going to be in the mix for holds, but can he overtake Finnegan right off the bat to uh to to be the closer for the majority of the year? So, you know, I'll, I'll again taking upside, I will take Stevenson in this group just because. Just I'll, I'll I'll take the lottery ticket here if he does land a closer role. I mean, maybe he signs as a setup man somewhere, and then you know something weird happens in spring training. I I don't know. I'm I'll, I'll take the the stuff here, see what happens, um, see how things play out, and you know deal with the the ramifications later. But um, Stevenson, I think is is definitely someone you should be looking at at the end of drafts and you're say in holds leagues he's obviously going to get drafted but in in you know saves only i still think he's worth a shot in the, the last round or so yeah i don't have to agree with you on that one but if the listeners have any questions about this specifically about your rankings obviously you can uh dm rick on on twitter or reach out to any of us uh, me or or callan about those rankings rick's probably the the best one to ask about his rankings um but you know i can always answer questions as well or if you have questions about our mock drafts or just throughout the entire off season we'll be around to help uh either before your drafts or during your drafts even we'll do our best to answer uh whatever questions you guys have um but to DM us, you have to know where to follow us on Twitter or X. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Jake Crumpler. You can find all of my work at crumplerbaseball.com. Uh, Callan is Callan underscore Elslogger. And then, uh, Rick, how about you plug your stuff and, and whatever you got going on coming up? Yeah, you can find me at I am Rick Graham on Twitter. And uh, nothing coming up in the near future. Um, gonna, you know... <laughs> After I get back or get back from first pitch Arizona, I'll probably take a take a little break and then start looking at some you know some more data and going you know trying to see where I 
can be better with these ranks, uh, these way too early ranks. Great. Well, it was great meeting you. I'm glad we got to do this in person for the first time, and, and probably it will be the last time until next for Switch Arizona. Hopefully, uh, Callan will be here for that as well. We will see. But that will do it for this episode of In the Pen. We'll talk to you all in a couple of weeks.